the gathering in of the tribes of Israel would be a principal work. Hello. I'm going to be reading from John 16, verse 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome this world. Good morning. Well, did you have peace this last week? Any hundred percenters? (laughs) Over 90? Over 50? (laughs) Okay. Um, You know, know, God wants us to have peace. Um, And I, I feel like when I make a statement, sometimes I'm correcting us. I'm saying, God's telling us we're supposed to do this. Uh, but today when I say it, I'm thinking that's great that God wants that for us. That's a blessing that he wants us to have peace. And I haven't really talked about this, but I'm real sure we will live better if we do have peace. Uh, we'll make better decisions. Uh, we'll control our words better. We'll control our actions better. And that is God's will for us. He wants us to be people at peace. And one of the big things we've been emphasizing in this series, based on the verse that Leighton just read, is that there is peace in Christ. Uh, peace can be found in Jesus. Last week, we looked at another part of this verse and this chapter and noticed that every believer will experience trouble, persecution, and sin which doesn't sound like peace, but knowing that those things are normal helps. Uh, That way, when those things happen, you don't think, wait, things are out of control. No, they're not. That's normal. There are ups and downs, but the roller coaster is still on the track. Today, we want to look at another part of this great verse, John 16, 33. In this world... You will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. There will be trouble in the world, but Jesus has overcome the world. And so we can take heart, be of good cheer, take courage. We can have peace because he's overcome the world. Now I want us to look at the meaning of that that particular phrase a little bit. And if you picked up one of the note sheets in the lobbies, I'll try to indicate the, the fill-ins for the blanks. Um, one of the most important things to know about that phrase is that the word overcome means to be the victor, to prevail, or to conquer. It means to be victorious. It means to be triumphant. It means to win. The, the word was used a lot in the ancient world and still today in athletic contests. It means we won. We won the game. Uh, it was used in the law court. We won the case. And it was used a lot in regard to battles. We won the victory. 
This is a victory word. Jesus is saying there's been a contest. Uh, in fact, skipping down to the end of that paragraph, the language here suggests warfare. And in this warfare, Jesus says he's been victorious. He has won. Now, his competition is the world. Not the earth, but the world. And John, in particular, uses the word world a lot to refer to all that opposes God. Uh, Sin, Satan, um, death, temptation, uh, problems, diseases, illnesses, sicknesses, all those things are of the kingdom of the enemy. And Jesus says, I have overcome that. And one more thing about that phrase is the tense of the verb overcome is one of those tenses that suggests something that has happened and its results continue. Um, It's not just that he won a round, he won the whole thing. All right? And we'll talk more about that as we go along. So this uh, suggests warfare and Jesus claims victory. Now, um, when Jesus started his ministry, one of the first things he said is, the kingdom of God is at hand. Uh, And you don't always pick up warfare imagery there, but kingdoms a lot of times have to do with warfare, and it does in this case because the dominant kingdom, I think, uh, when Jesus came, was the kingdom of Satan. Now, God was here and God had control, but Satan had an awful lot of power when Jesus came to the earth. And when Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand, he's announcing a rival to that, an alternative to that, that the kingdom of God is going to take another step forward um, and, and wage war against the kingdom of Satan. I want to read you a passage in Luke 11 that makes this pretty clear and may shed some light on what we're saying in John 16.33. In Luke 11, uh, Jesus has been driving out demons. And his critics say, you're driving out demons by the power of Satan. Jesus answered in verse 17, any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. What kingdom is he talking about? It's not the United States. Lincoln quotes this later, okay? Uh, And you can assume it's the kingdom of God, but it's not. I mean, what he says is true of any kingdom, but what he's talking about specifically is the kingdom of Satan. And he's saying, if I were casting out demons by Satan then that would be a kingdom divided against itself. All of which says Satan has a kingdom. And I think we know that, but here it comes right out and says it. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebul. But if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your followers drive them out? But... 
If I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. He's describing the warfare of his kingdom against the kingdom of Satan. And then in 21 he says, when a strong man, that's the devil, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. That's people. But when someone stronger, that's Jesus, attacks and overpowers him, that's the same word as John 16 for victory. When someone stronger wins a victory over him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up his plunder. He sets his captives free. This is a passage that's talking about the, a battle, the kinds of battles that Jesus engaged in as he was winning the victory over Satan. But still, even though we've read example after example in the scriptures of battles that Jesus won when he cast out a demon or when he cured a disease, it's kind of a bold statement to say, I have overcome the world. Because after all, in John 16, a couple of verses before, he said, all my followers are going to be scattered. And a couple of chapters before, he said, I'm going to be killed. How can he claim that he has won the victory when he's about to be killed? It's kind of a bold claim. And yet we know now, in hindsight, that his death was not a defeat. His death was the means to victory. His death was the way that he won the victory over Satan. Uh, you, you don't fight a menacing enemy with an obvious weapon. You don't shoot the devil with a pistol, right? It takes something bigger than that. Uh, and at the risk of confusing fantasy and reality, and I want to be real clear about this, uh, if you go to the movies and there's these big mean monsters and stuff, you don't kill them with a traditional weapon. You've got to come up with something unique and special. And I remind you that that's fantasy, but it's true here too. Because the devil is a tremendously powerful enemy. It takes something unique and special to defeat him, namely submission and death. That's what Jesus did, is he submitted to him and he died. Another really important passage about this is in John chapter 12, uh, just a little bit before where we're reading today. In John chapter 12, Jesus says in verse 31, now is the time for judgment on this world. I'm going to pass judgment on all that is opposed to God. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. That's the devil. He's going to be driven out. Notice, not destroyed, but dethroned, driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself he said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. Through the death 
of Jesus, which looked like his defeat, he won victory. He cast out the prince of the world and he began to draw all humankind to himself. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 says that by his death, he destroyed the one who holds the power of death, the devil. So even though his impending death may make it appear that he had lost, that was the means by which he had won. And so the claim that Jesus makes in John 16, verse 33, is true. He has overcome the world, and he did it through his death. Now, on the back of the sheet, I want to raise uh, an honest question that you may wonder about uh, and that we don't need to be afraid to ask. Um, And that is, do we really think Christ has won? Because a lot of times it doesn't seem like it. A lot of times it doesn't seem like Christ has won, right? Um, Am I the only one that watches the news at least for about 20 seconds and then I turn it off because I can't stand it? Um, I I can't watch the uh, real crime shows. I can watch NCIS, but I can't watch uh, 2020 or 60 Minutes because they're too, because they're real. And the power of Satan is real. And I get enough of that in my day job. Okay? Um, This is Martin Luther King weekend, so maybe uh, it would be appropriate to say that Satan is still winning a lot of battles in racial matters. Uh, There is racial prejudice in our world. There is racial discrimination in our nation. And there is racial discrimination in churches. And we need to acknowledge that that is the work of Satan, and it's wrong. For a lot of years, I assumed I didn't need to say, everybody is welcome here. I now realize I need to say it, and we need to show it as well. And I'll confess to you, there's some people, I'll even name one since I'm confessing, uh, Colin Kaepernick, Uh, outspoken critic of racial issues Uh, and he sometimes bugs the snot out of me and I don't think you're supposed to use the word snot in a sermon but he does Um, and when he came out with that deal about the the, uh, colonial flag on the back of the shoes and Betsy Ross and she had slaves and other groups have used that logo I thought man that is extreme But then I got to thinking, maybe if I'd been through all he's been through, or maybe if I'd been through all his people had been through, I might feel different about that. And even if he is extreme, and there are certainly some extremists, it doesn't change the fact that there are some real sins of discrimination and and injustice 
along the lines of racial matters. And that is the power of Satan. Satan is winning victories there. There's a lot more we could say about it, uh, but I just wanted to use that as an illustration of, of what we see all around us. We see Satan's power. Satan has his hooks in some of us. He's controlling some of us. And some of our relationships are much more pleasing to Satan than they are to God. Are we sure that Christ has won the victory? And one of the things that I want to say about that is that what you are seeing is true. Satan is winning some battles. And the Bible says the same thing. And you could see that in the book of Acts, but I want to, I want to read it real vividly from the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 13, verse uh, 5, talking about the beast a servant of Satan. And it says, and notice the way this is worded, the beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise its authority for 42 months. Not a literal 42 months, but for a set period of time. He was given that power. He didn't take that power. He was allowed to have that power. It opened its mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. It was given power to wage war against God's holy people and conquer them. And that's the same word. He gets to win some victories too. Now the language seems to be emphasizing that that's been permitted. That is under God's control. Why, you ask? Brandon will answer that in his next sermon. Uh, my, my point is just to say that the Bible tells us that that's happening. What you see on the news and what you see all around you is correct. Now what this tells us is that the victory Christ has won is proleptic. Sorry about the big word, um, but it's accurate. It's describing a future event as if it has already happened. When Jesus says, I have overcome the world. He's describing something that is, next blank, ultimate. Something that is not yet fully realized. Now that does not mean it is unreal. And I give you a couple of more scriptures that you can read there. Um, his death and his resurrection have made it crystal clear who is ultimately going to win. In fact, it is so clear that you can state it as if it has already happened. On July 3rd of 1863, there was a 70,000 man rebel army in the state of Pennsylvania where rebel armies are not supposed to be. 
And that was the third day of the Battle of Gettysburg. And the brilliant rebel general Robert E. Lee hoped he could win a decisive victory on Union soil and cause the United States, then divided, to give up and possibly bring Europe into the war in support of the Confederacy. But the Union line held. Pickett's charge was repulsed, and the Confederate army withdrew into a defensive position the next day on July the 4th. Also on July 4th, 900 miles away, the rebel garrison in Vicksburg, Mississippi, surrendered, giving control of the Mississippi River to the Union. And between those two Union victories, the outcome of the war was clear. Now, it may not have been clear to everybody at that time. And in fact, the war would drag on for 21 more months. Many more soldiers on both sides would die. The Confederates would win some victories. But historians are pretty well agreed that after Gettysburg and Vicksburg, the outcome was clear. That's what Jesus did. After his death and his resurrection, the outcome is clear. The war has drug on and may yet drag on for a while. And there will be battles and Satan will win some provisional victories. But he will not win the ultimate victory. Christ has won the ultimate victory. And so we can say, I have overcome the world. The book of Revelation was written to Christians who were in the throes of a vicious struggle with Satan, persecution, death, execution, torture. And Revelation is written to remind them that even though conflict continues, Christ has already won the war. Already Christ has won the victory. And it was written to remind them of that and to encourage them to persevere. Uh, All of us have sports teams or have played sports or other kinds of contests where it got so bad you just wanted to throw up your hands and surrender. I'm a little bit of an expert on this. I'm an Arkansas Razorbacks fan. I consider it fortunate if I'm still watching when the first quarter is over. Usually I give up before then. Uh, I texted my daughter-in-law this week after the Texans lost and said, sorry. Um, And she said, it was just so hard to watch. And I thought, what, you kept watching that? You know, how could you do that? I'm used to just turn the thing off after about five or six minutes. Um, If you think you're going to lose, you throw up your hands. And in fact, one strategy that teams will use and anybody in a contest will use is to try to deliver that knockout blow, score one more touchdown, hit one more home run, and make them just give up, make them think they don't have a chance, and throw up their hands. 
Revelation says, don't give up. The outcome is clear. We're going to win this thing. Hang in there. Um, One thing I do not have, and I know you're not supposed to use profanity in sermons, but one thing I've never had is Tom Brady. Okay? Uh, Tom Brady is the quarterback. Was the quarterback? I don't know. For, in another word, sorry, for the Patriots. Um, and, and the Patriots always win. Seems like they always win. I don't know what it's like to have a team like that. Uh, but, but the thing is that even when they get behind and they get the ball with two minutes left, a graphic comes up on the screen that says Brady has led the Patriots to 47,000 fourth quarter comebacks. They always win. And again, I'm not sure if I should be comparing God to Tom Brady, you know. But that's the message of Revelation, is we're going to win this thing. And it's not we're going to win, so just sit back and watch it happen. No, we're going to win, so keep resisting, keep persevering, keep fighting, keep hanging in there. That's the message of the book of, of Resurrection. Now, the question is, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Uh, one more verse I want to read. First John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. And this is critical to the victory. And this is going to use our key word, um, I think, three or four more times. First John chapter 5, verse 4. Everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory, that's the noun, that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe that Jesus is the ultimate authority? Do you believe he is the King of all other kings, the Lord of all other lords? It is paramount that we do because faith is the key to Christians overcoming the world. And if we believe that we win because of him, we hang on. And because of the blood of the Lamb, we are victorious over the beast. It is paramount that we believe Jesus really has overcome the world. And if you believe that, if you believe that, you can have peace even in the midst of the trouble. And that's where I am working on a faith in Jesus that is strong enough, that is absolutely certain that he has won the victory so that I can have peace even in the midst of the turmoil. If you want to talk to somebody about that or pray with somebody at that, our shepherds and their wives will be at the back. Let's stand and sing.